The Premier League season is over, but we still have the Champions League and the Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from the Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Good morning, Joe. And Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi, Joe. Hello, everyone. Uh, today is another episode of Sensible Transfers, and the three teams that we'll be focusing on in uh, in this episode are West Ham, Tottenham Hotspur, and Burnley. Uh, very exciting stuff. Um, and, of course, do you know what else is exciting, Seb? Is it the Athletic, Joe? It is the Athletic, but specifically because we've expanded our Sensible Transfer series onto the Athletic. So if we're not covering your team uh, with a video, then we have covered them in an article. Alex has collaborated with all of the incredible club journalists uh, covering the Premier League, some of the championship teams, a couple of the Scottish teams. So if you want to see a Sensible Transfers piece about your team, uh, you can sign up by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers, that's forward slash TIFO transfers uh, for 40% off an annual subscription, which I think is about maybe £3 or less uh, a month, which is very exciting, isn't it? Uh, anyway, we're all here today to enjoy sensible transfers. Uh, so without further ado, I shall leave you in the, uh, the cool hands and the warm embrace of Tottenham Hotspur, West Ham and Burnley Football Club. Okay, let us begin with Spurs, because Michael Clark asks, for a right-back and a centre-back and a backup striker, that's quite a lot of things to ask for, Michael Clark, but we'll try to do our best. Now, I'm going to come to you, Seb, as a Spurs supporter and fan. Uh, you've paid much attention to the club this season. Uh, right-back, centre-back, backup striker, which of these do you think is the most important, if, if any? Probably the right-back. Okay, and what is your reasoning for this? Because, I mean, well, I guess what I want to get from you is a sense of how things have changed under Mourinho, because Tottenham for such a long time were a Mauricio Pochettino team. I felt many people had a good grasp of how they played, or at least, you know, even when they weren't managing to do that, how they wanted to play. With Mourinho, things always seem a little bit more confusing, uh, and I'm never sure whether that's because uh, for, for a sort of lack of positive results or because it, it's sort of unclear tactically what he's attempting to do. What, what, what is your impression of that, and why, therefore, are these positions uh, required? Yeah, it does seem a little bit darker and more nebulous, doesn't it? The case with the fullback is that Tottenham's creative outlet seems to have shrunk. And there's an awful lot of emphasis placed on um, what a fullback can do from deep, um, kind of crosses he can provide, the penetration in the final third, the width. Now, Mourinho has actually been a, an avid supporter of Serge Aurier, who um, has you know fairly decent attacking attributes and um, you know does the does the role to a degree. 
But as anyone who has watched him defend knows, um, that's a pretty hair-raising experience. Watching him trying to tackle in his own penalty box um, takes years <laughs> off your life. Can you so explain what... that to me? Because he, Sergio Aurier seems like the least Mourinho player in the Tottenham squad. That it, It's been a surprise to me to see that. Am, am I just misunderstanding what Mourinho favours in, in, in a player or is there something else going on? No, I don't think you're misunderstanding, Joe. I just think it's a marriage of convenience at the moment. It's a, what, what, what do I have? Um, at fullback, what what is what are my options? And at the moment, they consist of Serge Aurier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there was a sort of a, an aborted experiment a couple of years ago to try and make Juan Foyth into a fullback. That didn't really work. Kieran Trippier obviously was sold to Atletico Madrid. Carl Walker Peters, um, who I think will be a really good signing for Southampton, yeah, he's, he's never quite convinced as a Tottenham fullback. He's never looked quite comfortable enough, or you know, you could say he's never quite been given an opportunity. Um, both would probably be fair. And so Mourinho has been left with the player who sort of does what he wants. And the balance that he's created to accommodate Aurier is that when Aurier goes forward, instead of, you know, do you remember the old Tottenham dynamic of Kyle Walker and Danny Rose, the way they used to push on beyond the, the halfway line and how Very much they so. were? Yeah, so because Aurier is, is not to be trusted as a defender, what <laughs> seems to happen is um, he's given license to go forward and to operate beyond the halfway line. Whereas whoever plays fullback, typically Ben Davis when he's available, kind of becomes a, a third centre-half. And so it's quite a lopsided formation, and as a result, everything goes through the right side. And what's happening further up the pitch in those positions then, in, in terms of the left and right wide wing areas? Who, who Do you see that reflected in the players that are playing inside? I.e., is the person on the right uh, more likely to cut in? Is the person on the left more likely to, to go around the outside? Yeah, I think that's a trend in modern football generally, Joe. I think the um, this is the age of the inverted winger. Um, and at Spurs, obviously on the left, um, Mourinho has preferred Son Heung-min when available. On the right, he's quite like Lucas Moura. But in both instances, their tendency is to drift in field. Moura in particular is someone who is never going to hug a touchline. Um, he's never going to provide the kind of pitch-stretching width that you need from fullbacks now. Um and so as a result, Tottenham can be very, very narrow. And so the importance of having someone um, that can cover the yards, that can provide the attacking production, um, but also more importantly, um, tackle. Uh, because uh, if, if you, I mean, it, it's a kind of, uh, it becomes a bit of a zero sum game, doesn't it? If you've got an attacking fullback who um, is very, very prone to defensive lapses, um, you're almost better playing with 10 men at times. Um, right. It's difficult, but it's a priority. And I don't think you'd find a single Tottenham fan um, who's watched uh, the team over the last couple of years who would disagree with that. I bet you will, because this is YouTube. Well, this is the internet, all, isn't so, it? And so, yeah. yes, I'm sure someone will, will tell me. <laughs> Although, to be honest, when, when people disagree with you on the internet, they tend to be very courteous and polite and just say, oh, you know, well, this is just this is just a difference of opinion. But That's so absolutely much. true. A bit like when people thought that we should have spent more time talking about Manchester City's centre-back options. Alex, will you uh, concur with what Seb's saying about the the right-back position for Tottenham? Yeah, completely. Um, I mean, I I think that this has been part of, like Seb says, you know, the the, the age of the inverted wingers, which (laughs) sounds rather more kind of Game of Thrones than perhaps it ought to. But, um, you know, creativity, particularly wide creativity, is expected to come from fullbacks now and even you know where previously teams maybe had three defenders uh, and so width was provided by wingbacks because it wasn't coming from anywhere else now even when teams are playing with wide forwards 
those wide forwards are expected to cut inside and a fullback is really responsible for the entire flank uh, for most teams. Uh, you, you tend to see a little bit less of that where teams are still in an orthodox 4-4-2, um, but that's usually because an orthodox 4-4-2 is predicated on defensive structure and so the fullbacks are expected to sit deep and, and play longer balls forwards into the channels. But yeah, basically it's, you know, there's just a, a great degree of unbalance and sometimes that unbalance can work because if you have uh, a fullback who can come in to be a third centre-back, there is obviously a, a knock-on effect further up the pitch. You don't have to have a, a, a midfielder dropping in to collect the ball so often, particularly if you've got a couple or at least one centre-back who can play those long forward passes. So it, it's not an entirely bad thing, but what it does mean is that you you generally can have an expectation that Spurs will try and attack in a certain sort of way. And if you can stop that happening, then they they seem to have slightly fewer options yeah okay well i'll come to you first seb then uh sticking with the right back who who are who are preferred options Uh, i found one um and he's someone i like because he can play right back and center back which makes him feel a little bit more Mourinho-esque to me um Mm. is it branislav ivanovic it is not it is not it might have been 10 years ago but it's great player very good player very good player um but i've gone with uh mainz's jerry saint just uh, used to play for Feyenoord. Um, really interesting player in that um, he reminds me a little bit of Eric Dyer in the way because he is fundamentally a centre half, but he's an, but when he plays as a fullback, he is very aggressive um, and good footballer, um, as you'd expect from someone that's come through Feyenoord. Um, and yeah, I like him. I um, there are there is a case for saying that there are if Tottenham really want to upgrade the position. Um, there are better options available in Europe, and I, I completely agree with that. But the reality is, is that Spurs are just not going to be spending twenty, thirty million pounds on a player in that position this summer. So we, we, uh, these are sensible transfers, Joe. So uh, yeah, we must sure. be sensible. But, okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of sensible, you've made the Eric Dyer comparison there. Uh, one more thing I'd like to know about this player: Would he clamber over plastic chairs in order to verbally defend his family? I would hope so. I would <laughs> hope so. Because yeah. that's the real Eric Dyer test, I'd say. That's isn't it? that's the kind of player I want, and that's probably the kind of player Mourinho wants. Um, love that moment. I yeah, love it. Absolutely. I really. Can't I don't even it. care what what he was there to do. I just love that he did it. And I'm. I, you know what? I'd take the ban if it was me. Uh, great TV. Really great TV. Anyway, Alex, <laughs> uh, right back, please for Tottenham. How do how do I follow that? Um, yeah, I've got I've got two options. Unlike Seb, um, I've gone for for somebody who would be considered an orthodox right back or right wing back. Um, but I agree entirely on on cost. So Kenny Tate at Lyon, um, who's somebody who I've I've liked quite a lot um, for a while and has cropped up in a previous Sensible Transfers video. I can't remember for whom, quite possibly for Tottenham, um, because this is a problem that they've been seeking to solve for a while. Um, he's, he's defensively pretty solid, but he does get forwards. He's, he's not... I, I think, you know, Lyon are the sort of club who will take offers for him because he's not necessarily um you know regularly playing for them more interesting though i think is a guy called um joan sastre uh van vanel vanel we're back at this again aren't we um he's he's <laughs> Don't at, nobody help him no he's at mallorca and he's played really well uh in la liga he's completed one cross accurately per 90 that doesn't sound like a lot 
But when you consider that the only two players who've played more than five games in La Liga to have done more than that are Pervis Estupian and Jesus Navas, then it gives you an idea of, of where he fits into that. Good progressive passer, nice and quick. He's probably not defensively awesome, um, but he does give that go forward with a little bit more solidity. Uh, and he's only 23. Um, so yeah. he's, he's one that, that they could work on for a while. Okay, that's exciting. Do you know this? This 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 sort of reminded me of uh, of watching the um, I watched the the Manchester Manchester United uh, Copenhagen game the other day in the Europa League quarterfinals, I think, and um, uh, you know United sort of struggled to 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 create throughout the game, obviously hitting the post quite a lot. But one thing that kept coming up with the commentators, and I think has come up more recently in conversation generally, but um, in this game it really felt like it showed, shone through was. That Manchester United's fullbacks and Wambasaka is the sort of emblem of this is is exceptionally you know capable defensively and has struggled uh, you know going forwards and creating and I think you really do see when particularly when you're playing against the low block um, or when you're trying to break down a team who you know who are sort of uh, dogged and feisty and defensive that having a fullback who can attack effectively is just so important. Um, I, I I don't know if if, if I mean, I guess are we saying with Serge Aurier that, that Tottenham almost have the kind of total inverse uh, problem, Seb? Yeah, I'd say so. I would say that, um, yeah, that's actually quite a good comparison. Aaron Wan-Bissaka is really uh, Serge Aurier's binary twin. Um, yeah. Although I would, you know, I would be fair to, to Wan-Bissaka. I think he's really improved uh, offensively over the last sort of six months or so. He's, um, he's yeah. had some really good moments. But yeah, no, sure. it's pretty much the opposite problem. And actually, Joe, I mean... On, on, on what you're saying, I, I completely agree. But also Leicester are really a good example of this in the sense yeah, of what happens yeah. to a team when you take their fullbacks away. It's like, um, you know, they're, they're like uh, rooks on a chess piece, aren't they? Oh, uh, yeah. castles. What, 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 a rook, rook's a horse. Rook uh, is the castle. No, a rook, rook is, is the a castle. castle. A knight is a horse. Well, I'm, I'm literally just a looking at a chess set right horse, now. But I've got kind of, horse. you know... You know insecurity about my chess knowledge that's a weird place for this podcast sure. to go isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the well, ones anyway, on the end um, the ones that go up and down <laughs> i tell you i don't know if either of you watched that game but one other thing it was, it's been my favorite football game to watch in a long time purely on the basis of the of the uh of clearly personal battle between anthony martial and i think his name was johnson the copenhagen goalkeeper oh yeah uh even after united went one nil up and you know there was seemingly no way back for copenhagen in the game <laughs> Uh, he still pulled out just world-class save after world-class save. And every time I thought, this man is on a, is on a personal mission right here. There's no, uh, I don't know if Adonis can do some beeping for me, but there's no fucking way he's going to let Anthony Martial score. And there was no fucking way Anthony Martial was not going to score. It was, it's, that's exactly what I want to see in football. And I felt, you know, for those two players... It was no longer about the scoreline. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't about the bigger picture. It was just about a one-on-one battle, mano e mano. I, I loved it. It was, it was, a, it was. A, I thought it was a real, real sight to behold. And I hope that that man goes home. Uh, you know, Johnson went home that evening and, uh, and was uh, very proud of himself because, uh, crikey, he frustrated some people. Anyway. We've got quite a lot more to cover ground-wise with Tottenham Hotspur, so let's speed along here. Uh, centre-back. Are we feeling uh, as important as uh, about a centre-back as we are about right-back, Seb? Uh, not quite to the same degree. It's not essential, but it is important because... Who's um, left? Vertong- is Jan Vertonghen left? He's left on a free transfer, and uh, as we speak, he's having a medical at Benfica. Um, so he's well and truly gone. Um, he'll Lovely do well spot. at Benfica as well. 
Yeah. So, but because it's Vertonghen that's gone, I've tried to um, I've tried to bring in another left-footed centre half, uh, another centre half who can play a bit, who can bring the ball out. Um, so I've gone to Feyenoord again. Um, although I essentially just left Feyenoord, but um, I, I've gone back to Holland and I'm taking Marcus Sinisi um, from Feyenoord. Um, bit of a wild card. I love I, I love an Argentinian defender just because of you know you know at some point he'll. You know, he's got, he's got a little bit of malice in him, which is is always nice. Um, quite a rugged player, but a skillful one too. Every Divisi players are always a bit of a a bit of a lottery when they come over to England. Um, but again, we, we're 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 trying to work within a budget. We're not looking at sort of 45, 50 million pound players. We're looking at, at, at projects essentially. Um, and I think he he looks a little bit like a um, a Mourinho player, but with the added bonus of being a sort of a, a Vertonghen light. Um, right, and right. someone who um, who is comfortable with the ball at his feet. And I uh, also, you know, you've got to replace that left-footed dynamic. You want a right-footed, left-footed centre-back combination, in a two especially. Um, so uh, in he comes. Alex, why is it so important to have a left foot and a right foot in your central defence? I don't know that it's that important in the sense that it can work perfectly well with the right footer at the left centre-back. Um, I, I think the difference is that it just adds... Uh, the ability to play out from the back from both sides to across both sides of the pitch, if that makes sense. Because yeah. if, if you're Virgil van Dijk and you're a, a, a right footer playing as a left-sided centre-back, you're, I mean, Virgil van Dijk's amazing, but his, his body angle needs to be a certain kind of way for him to be able to hit across the ball towards the right wing where Trent Alexander-Arnold is bombing forwards. And obviously that means if you can turn him towards the other side of the pitch with pressing it makes it harder for him to do that and if you're a, if you're a left footer on that side then you have the option to to be able to play more comfortably forwards to an advancing um left wing back for example i, I think it's one of those things that's nice to have but it's not it's not massively essential um mm, okay. interestingly i have also gone for an argentine defender um a guy <laughs> called hector martinez who's at river plate um, who has, I mean, he's he's kind of for the same sorts of reasons as as Seb says. I I think Argentine defenders sometimes they're like a Lissandro Martinez who's at Ajax, who's very elegant and probably more of a defensive midfielder, and sometimes they've got just that kind of gnarliness. They're a bit unpleasant, and there's a, a ruggedness there, which I think I think Spurs benefit from that further back. Um, and uh, yeah, Martinez has got all of that. My my slight concern around him is that he's only six foot tall, um, which isn't ideal. You know, if you're if you're a top top level centre back, you probably want an inch or two more in height. Um, but he looks to be you know a very very complete defensive player. Um, he's very interesting. Before we get to backup striker, I would like to uh, give a quick shout out to Reese D fourteen, uh, Adiola Tayo, and Luis Umberto who also asked for these positions when we put out the request for sensible transfer uh, suggestions and questions. Um, so backup striker then, Seb, let's come back to you. Presumably this is this is somebody who isn't going to eclipse Harry Kane in the team. And this is, um, I would imagine, a sort of ongoing issue for, for Tottenham and indeed for clubs who have such a dominant player uh, in, in one position. If you're trying to bring in a player to, to, to sit behind them, 
I, I'd be curious to. Sp- I mean, I'm hoping in the, in you know over the next few months we'll speak to some people who might be able to actually answer this question on the podcast about how you would approach a, a transfer like that. But what do you think, sir? Presumably, it complicates things a little bit asking someone to come in who will knowingly be uh, playing second fiddle to the cane main. Yeah, big time. The other the other thing is that also um, Harry Kane's contract at Tottenham um, is really incentive based, hence why he never comes off the pitch and why he starts whenever <laughs> he's available. Um, just because this is a kind of this is a legacy of the old wage structure whereby you know it was very difficult to to go over a certain basic wage um so you've got to find someone that's happy to be second fiddle you've got to be happy you've got to find someone that's happy probably with a very bit pot role so <laughs> i've uh, i've dug out an old friend of the uh, of the podcast salomon rondon um yes, who yes. is playing in the chinese super league at dalian um but playing well, um, started the season really nicely, four goals in four games, averaging three and a half shots per game. Um, Rondon is still just 30 years old, and I accept that there's a little bit of a deterioration when players leave Europe and move to a league like China, but you're not asking him to be anything that he would not naturally be, um, if that makes sense. He is a hugely physical player, really nice pivot. Um, it will always surprise me that some a, a bigger team didn't... Um, take a take a take a run at Rondon at some point just yeah. uh, you know as a kind of um you know to play the the role that uh, Fernando Llorente played for Spurs um a few years ago and he's ideal and he's uh, he's one of the, he remains one of the great um unappreciated assets in uh, in world football I think he is great isn't he I know Alex loves him as well we all love Salomon Rondon I do love Salomon Rondon and I think that's a really nice shout um I I also just had a moment of pining for Lorente who was just so handsome. Yeah, he's uh... um I I've I've gone for t- two alternative it's, options. Was it the hair? Uh, do you know what? I think it's probably the eyes. It was I don't the know. eyes. I, I described I think his him face once. was a little No, I d- he looked like a sad perfume model. There was kind of like <laughs> he had that, you know, he was looking off into the distance. He was always a bit disappointed, but there was something yeah, about he his never bone saw the ball come in. Yeah. No, no. I've I've gone for two different options because I think um I think a backup to Harry Kane is increasingly not a backup to Harry Kane because you just can't trust those injuries. And he, you know, he's a great great player obviously, but I think the idea of of relying on him and only looking for somebody to play second fiddle is going to be increasingly untenable because I think those injuries could mount up. Habib Diallo, who's at Mets, is actually somebody who, when I googled him quickly to check his goals and assists, which is 12-3 and three last season, um, he's being linked with Spurs. Uh, so that's an interesting one. My mm. my preference, however, would be Kasper Dolberg. Kasper okay. um, yeah. Dolberg, who was at Ajax, um, was supposed to be one of the next big things, slightly went off the boil. And like a few other players, actually, has re-established himself at Nice, um, scored 11, three assists last season for a very capable Nice side, still only 22, and offers the option to play out wide as well. Um, He's a big heft, isn't he? He's a big, you know, I like to call him uh, Dr. Big Smack It In. (laughs) Okay. Catchy. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I mean, that's the kind of thing that will definitely be on scouting reports. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Alongside his XG... Dr. Big Smack It In. Yeah, Dr. Big Smack It In. Sure. No, I think he's great. Uh, do you know, uh, who was he playing for uh, not that long ago? Ajax. Ajax, yeah. I've watched him. It was, in the champ- was he in the Champions League last year with Ajax? Or was it the year before? It, you, you're thinking of the Europa League run. The Europa League, right. He had okay, that great yeah. game against Lyon. Um, yeah, yeah he, 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 he had a few great games in a row. 
Yeah, he did. He, did, he just looked he? threatening every time he got the ball. Like his physicality just caused problems every time the ball went near him. And I think, I think even whether whether a player, no, I don't know much about Casper Delberg, but I remember thinking at the time whether a player is particularly technically capable or particularly fast or whatever. If when the ball goes near them, people are a bit afraid, and there's a there's a presence, there's a thing that happens, there's a a little bit of chaos created. That's that's a that's a that's a real um, asset. I think sometimes what happens as well, and I agree with all of that, um, and I also agree with with Seb's point that physicality is an important thing to have in a, a Harry Kane backup. When you get players like Kasper Dolberg or Martin Odegaard who kind of burst onto the scene and everybody's talking about how amazing they are slash are going to be, but they find themselves in teams that actually, for very sensible reasons, don't want to play them regularly, it can seem like they go off the boil. Um but actually, if they're given an opportunity, albeit perhaps at a lesser team, although actually Nice arguably is a step up from Ajax in some ways because of the relative competitiveness of those leagues, they're still very, very good players. Just because they don't immediately transcend into the first team of a club that goes off and wins the Champions League, you know, it's it's not like they suddenly become bad. They're still a very, very good potential player there. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think he'd be a nice kind of versatile fit for Spurs. Oh, I like it. That's just some lovely picks for backup strikes. I got all, got, got all excited. Uh, okay, uh, that's Tottenham Hotspur done. Uh, and when we come back, we will be talking about West Ham United. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein, and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday, and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel, and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. Dino Giza was uh, apparently the only person to write in, according to Seb. I think, you're, I think you've got confused with how it worked, Seb, but... I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> even though I've just taken that away. Dino Giza, one of the best names to have ever written in. Dino Giza, I'll say, well, maybe Dino Giza, who knows? Dino Giza, I like the idea of a Dino Giza, uh, you know, a pterodactyl maybe, but he's a bit of a wheeler dealer. Uh, he can't fly anymore. Street paleontologist. Exactly, <laughs> right, like yeah. Somebody kind of bustles into a dig and starts pushing people around. Yeah, he drives around in a three-wheeled car, and he says, "Oh, go, go, give me, give me your cockles." That's a uh, Dino Giza. Has, has like sort of model stegosauruses on his on his dashboard. That That's the one, exactly. <laughs> I think you're coming up with a fantastic concept here, gang. But this is not what we're here to do. Thanks for writing in, Dino Giza. Uh, you, however, have unfortunately asked for a position that Seb absolutely refused to answer, which was for left wing uh, for West Ham. That's, and uh, that's I'll read not Seb's notes it. here. No, no, hold on. I'll read Seb's notes here. Uh, they definitely don't need another wide attacker. Uh, Yamalenko, Bowen, Anderson, Lanzini, Fornells, uh, Dianga, uh, etc. Uh, he is, uh, but, but this person is our only West Ham commenter. <laughs> so, Dino like Giza, thank, thanks well for being our one. <laughs> <laughs> you know the rules now, Seb. Don't write anything to me uh, that you don't <sighs> want me to say out loud. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, what we have done instead is uh, we've taken your thoughts into account, Dino Giza. We've completely ignored them. And now uh, we are deciding instead to discuss a centre-forward, a centre-back and an eight. That's a centre-forward, a centre-back and an eight. So uh, tell you what, Seb, since they're your positions, you tell me where you'd like to start. I'll start a centre-back, please, Joe. Okay, um, go ahead. Take it away. Yeah, so um, the basis for this is uh, Angelo Bonner is now 32 years old. Um, I really like Issa Diop, um, but I'm looking for a long-term partner. 
um, for him. I've got two younger players. First is uh, Schalke's Ozan Kabak. Um, I mean, who wouldn't want to leave Schalke at the moment? So presumably that would be a fairly easy transfer. Um, I, Unlike Spurs, I'm not really looking at footballers here. I'm looking at, um, at defenders first. I, I want someone with sort of, you know, good... Uh, uh, good one-on-one tackling, good in the air, physical. I, I want a sort of a more secure base, and also I'm trying to find players who I think will um, will suit David Moyes a little bit more. Um, so, and the other one, um, bit more of a formulaic pick, but ever since Adam Webster's emergence at Brighton, Shane Duffy has kind of um, fallen out of favour. Remains a really serviceable centre half, really stable player. Um, West Ham could do a lot, lot worse. Because like, I, I think that's the that's that's project one project a for them is to just become a bit more consistent at the bottom at the back of the pitch um just because everything else um tonally that's just so important um got to sort of stop letting in goals um and i chucked harold mccudy in there as well bit more of a footballer um but i was seduced by the idea of of pairing um two young french players together uh for the long term feels like it could have um developed with some nice chemistry and he's a good player and he's someone also that you could place behind a Duffy or a Quebec, um, allow to appreciate and grow and develop and have a very capable but also a very valuable player in the future um, so put him in there too. Okay I like it. Uh, Alex tell me a little bit about David Moyes and how he likes to play with West Ham and then tell me who you'd take as a centre-back on that basis. I think Moyes is you know, it's a fairly direct style. Um, they they seem to be oscillating between a, a 4-1-4-1 and a 4-2-3-1, which has more relevance, I think, for our um, uh, central midfield question. But yeah, I, I agree with Seb. You know, there's, there is attacking talent further up the pitch. Um, Moyes, since he came in, I think really has been sort of trying to sort out the fundamentals at that team get them defending better, get them transitioning the ball more directly. Um, it's it's not necessarily that there's a clear kind of Moyes way of playing at this point in time, but I think that's because, in part, he's he's come into a squad that has been assembled in a very, very piecemeal fashion um, without any necessary kind of clear sense of style, clear sense of... Um, direction in terms of how the team should be playing so he's got quite a lot to sort out before he works out what the best way of of doing stuff with those players is and I think for that reason yes defensive solidity is really important Um, I do think having a player who can play out from the back is is quite important as well particularly given that they're likely to lose Declan Rice who is the kind of link man um, for that so I've gone for Brentford's Pontus Janssen um he obviously did very well for Leeds. Um, he's moved to a team that uh, also excelled in the championship. Um, slightly less progressive expectations of him around his passing there. Um, but he's a good physical defender. He's a, a character. He's you know well acquainted with English football, having been over here for quite a year. Quite a year? Quite a while. Um, God knows what, what was happening there. Um, and I, I think he's, you know, he's... Again, he's got a bit of unpleasantness to him, um, which I don't think is a bad thing in a centre-back. Uh, and he would bring a little bit more in terms of passing than their current options. You mentioned there that the two different sort of formations maybe make the question of the eight more interesting. Let's start with that then. Um, uh, and what do you what do you mean by that, Alex? 
So what I mean by that is that um, Thomas Sushek, who's come in and uh, was acquired, I think, initially on loan by Moyes um, from, from Czechia and then converted into a, a permanent signing, has been a really, really good signing. Like he's, he's very, great. very astute. Yeah. Um, and and I think, you know, let's not forget that David Moyes is actually very good in the transfer market um, a lot of the time. I thought you were just going to say, let's not forget David Moyes is actually good. He's actually very good. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's all right. Yeah, I mean, you know, David Moyes is is actually the sort of um, manager that you want at a club like West Ham that has has sort of vacillated a while. Someone who can come in, who who has enough oversight and experience with transfers to be able to put his stamp on a team. He assembled a really good squad at Everton over a period of time. And Sushek is a is a good example of that sort of um, that sort of signing. So depending on whether or not they want to kind of play with a a, a single screening midfielder with with Sushek deep, or whether they want to play with effectively two eights in the sort of four one four one, which could look like a four three three, that slightly then determines what that other midfielder is going to be doing. Um, you could have someone like Mark Noble or Fournay's in the hole. So I've gone for quite a, an all-rounded midfielder on the basis that they probably don't yet know which of those two things they want to be doing most of. Yeah. Um, and Roy Keane. Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, t- together at last. Um, oh, Sasha um, Zadidia. Um, who's at Partizan Belgrade, who's a player who I, I think is genuinely one of the best central midfielders outside of Europe's top five leagues. Um, there isn't anything that he can't do, and I think this is part of the point. He's He's got the versatility to play as a defensive midfielder, dropping deep and taking the ball from the centre-backs and playing it long. He also gets forwards. At Partizan, he's been playing more as a DM recently, but last season he was much more of a progressive eight. And his his stats have obviously altered with his role, but he is consistently really good at whatever he does. Um, he had a good run in the Champions League a few seasons back when he was at Olympiacos, um, but he's just a fantastic all-round player. Um, and he's the sort of person who could slot in at West Ham and do basically whatever's asked of him. Mm. Okay, Seb, how do you follow that? I'm not sure that Declan Rice will leave this summer. I think he'd want to. Um, and I think his favourite destination would be Chelsea. Whether they've got the money to match West Ham's asking price now, given what they... Are they just waiting to see whether Kai Averts is a thing? Yeah, I think so. And I, I also think they've got sort of priorities further back. I think they need a centre-half. I think they need a full-back too. Um, I don't know. Maybe they'll get round to Rice next summer. I'm not sure. Or in January, possibly. I so mean, I'm, do, I'm kind of sorry. They, they do see Rice as that centre half, which I think I is really oh. odd. I mean, but, if they do, but, I think that's a mistake. I think no, he's, I, uh, I completely agree with you. But I, everything that I've read indicates that that's the way they're thinking about it, which makes sorry. Zero slow down. Sense explain to that to me again. They see Declan Rice as a, as a centre back. Yeah. The 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 central midfielder Declan Rice. Correct. Well, he did start at West Ham as a centre back. Um, Did he really? This is and he this kind is of news migrated forward. But I, I mean, if news to me as well. I mean, I, I wonder whether. Um, I mean, if you're if you're going to spend, let's do you know say, how instance, I know this? Tell me how you know, know this, Joe. Is Guess it an athletic subscription? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that might be our neatest segue ever on the pod. That was very very nice. Well, so, in that case, I ruined it by singing. If if I may be allowed to say this as well, I've I've got a piece that was published today on Ben White who is probably the best centre-back in England outside of the 
the Premier League, well, I mean, technically outside of the Premier League, um, who is also potentially a, a, a Chelsea target. So a little mm. tactical profile on Ben White for you on The Athletic there. Mm. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That would make sense, though, because if you're going to spend the kind of money you need for Rice, I want the assurance of knowing that I'm getting the specialist, not a kind of a court between two positions type. I think Rice is a is a 7 out of 10 defensive midfielder at the moment, possibly becoming a kind of an 8.5 out of 10 in the future. As a centre-back, maybe maybe, he, maybe maybe he becomes you know a, a, a generational player in that position, but goodness, that's a risk to take given the fee that it would cost to take him. Um, anyway. I don't think he does. And I, and I don't think he's a generational player as a no, me potential neither. generational player as a defensive midfielder either. If if you watch his games for England, for example, it's quite instructive how often his lack of judgment and his lack of awareness gets England into trouble. Um, it you know he just he just seems to not quite be astute enough to work in that position. I'm sure West Ham fans will be furious to hear that. But I wonder I wonder what Dino Geezer thinks. Dino Giza might say that, like, I think England have got sort of um, a few issues behind the midfield as well, between those two centre-backs. I mean, they've dealt, obviously, with the um, the drop-off in uh, John Stones' form, but also, you know, the kind of the haphazard performances of Michael Keane as well. Um, so that that's kind of a difficult area for England. Um, I do agree not, with Alex. Not though. now that Ben White is there. On our horizon as a national <laughs> team player. Can I get to my midfield picks? So the reason the reason the reason Declan Rice came up is because I was planning a, a midfield which consists of him, Thomas Suchek, and the position I'm replacing is actually Mark Nobles. Um because um How dare you? He's thirty three years old. You're replacing and... you can't replace the, 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 the poet laureate of West Ham, the legend that is. <laughs> Come on. Mark the Noble's there as long deals. as he wants it. He'll be there until he's fifty. I just it, it's a it's a weak point, and I it's sometimes when when there's an emotional connection between a club and a player, they have trouble recognizing what's in front of their face, and that is in this yeah, instance. Yeah, but that, yeah, but that, that, you're just misunderstanding football then, because the whole point is the emotional connection between the players and the fans. Who cares if they if they can't see the? I'm with Dino Giza on this one. How dare you? We don't know that Dino Giza has a poster <laughs> of Martin Noble on his back. We absolutely wall, do, <laughs> or a tattoo on his back. We don't know that at all. That's we're making assumptions. Right. Go anyway, on. I, listen, anyway, I, I've anyway. drawn my line in the sand. Please step oh, over. Oh, will now. you fuck off? Let me have my midfield picks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Right. To save time, Abdullah Dekore, Timu Bakayoko, John Lundstrom. Lundstrom because he's got a year left of his contract, which is just automatically uh, extended. Uh, there was a, 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 a clause in there. Um, excellent season at Sheffield United. Tailed off a little bit, but really good player. Bakayoko, uh, a risk, but one that Chelsea want off their wage bill without question. There's a deal to be done. And the Kure because I think you could do all kinds of interesting things in that West Ham midfield with him. Um, perhaps not as a kind of... Don't use him in the sort of as attacking away as um, as Javi Gracia generally did, um, but allow him to work from that stable base of Rice and Suchek. I think that's a really interesting, nicely balanced midfield. Yeah, a stable base of Rice, lovely, lovely stuff. Okay, <laughs> uh, we haven't got very long um, because uh, you know I've, I've interrupted you most of the time, but we've got <laughs> centre forward left to go for West Ham. Just a quick, ne- can, can you first explain to me what's happening with with Ala? Is he? I mean, I haven't basically haven't read anything about West Ham, so I need someone to tell me what's happening. Seemingly, the word on Ala is a uh, good player, great technical player, uh, a bit light, a bit sort of um, 
not not that comfortable with being physical and using his size. Um, there is a player in there. I, I think um, I think if if West Ham were to persist with him, they would eventually get some value out of that transfer. Um, whether that's what the player wants, I don't know. I'm not sure what the um, what the, whether there's any momentum for him to leave. No idea at all. But in this case, are we lo- what are we looking for? Are we looking for a replacement, or are we looking for some assistance? I'm looking for someone that will be physical because I I like the idea of some of that attacking talent um, in attacking midfield and out wide. I want them to be able to kind of satellite around something a little bit more consistent. Um, also, I, I love Michel Antonio, um, but I don't want him to be used purely as a as a pivot. I don't want him running endlessly into the channel, um, pressing, because I, I, I think he's of more value on the football. On the yeah, football. Yeah. I sound like Tim Sherwood. On the ball. Um, so I think there's a player in there. Is that, is that, is that a Sherwoodism? I'm doing an impression of what what you said. It, you're you're doing an impression you... of my accidental Sherwood impression. Yeah, that's kind yeah, of that's, that's quite right. meta, Joe. That was, yeah, I feel like we're it's like an episode of Black Mirror. Um, I've gone for Wolfsburg's Wout Vieghorst, who anyone who watched him during the Bundesliga restart, how can how can you not love him? He's like a he's like a character from the Trojan War. Um, yeah, just a he lacks a little bit of pace, um, but uh, I love that kind of footballer. I love the sort of the old fashioned target man. And he would suit David Moyes. David Moyes has had really good success with that type of player used in different types of the pitch. Um, yeah. He knows how to use that, in, for instance, in set-piece situations. He knows how to build an attack around um, those attributes. So I think that'd be really interesting. Okay, I like that pick. Alex, what you got for me? I think Haller should play alongside a second centre-forward. Probably that's maybe why it's not worked out. I think West Ham have got in him and Alban Ajeti, two really, really good strikers that just haven't been used properly. Um, And maybe the answer is to sort that out rather than buy someone new. However, um, Ilya Shuriken, um, who's at Cheska Moscow, uh, who scored uh, 10 non-penalty goals um, this season in just under 1,400 minutes, high shot volume, six foot two, built like a brick outhouse. is doesn't score many headed goals but is good at contesting stuff in the air and relatively inexpensive for some reason i'm not sure why um belarusia an international um so he's he's only 20 as well so that's that's potentially one for the future well we'll be back shortly to discuss burnley dun dun dun, dun. it's burnley uh josh the c asks for younger and hopefully more exciting players than the current starters and rotational players, i.e. Bardsley, uh, Peters and Lennon, guys that would make Burnley more interesting to watch for the neutrals. That's broad, but thanks for asking it, Josh the C. Um, Okay, let's fit them into the positions that we're looking at, um, which are, according to Seb, are right back and right middle. Explain yourself. Well, this has its roots in the contract snafu we discussed with Andy Jones on the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, mm, mm-hmm. So um, Phil Bardsley left the club on a, on a free transfer. He was in his mid-30s, so um, uh, that was always on the cards. Uh, but Jeff Hendrick also went, and um, that leaves a bit of a hole on the right of midfield. Um, in addition to which, um, I don't think this was kind of quite as contentious, but Aaron Lennon also left the club. Um, so they are now really, really short of right footers on that side. Um, so we okay. need to, uh, we definitely need to do, do some work on that flank. All right. Well, let's start with Alex then. Uh, and on the flank, right middle, please, or right wing, if you'd prefer. Um, I mean, I can do both if you'd like. How about okay. that? That would be lovely. Yeah. Great. Um, so two right midfielders, um, um, Nicholas Eliasson at Bristol City, 
um, who scored three, got seriously. Yeah, sorry, dude. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel reassured by that. That's there good. you go. You'll have different reasons. That's fine. Um, three goals, twelve assists. Um, he can play on either flank. Um, he's able to cut inside. He's a good carrier of the ball. I think Burnley are looking increasingly to be a little bit more dynamic down the flanks, um, particularly because uh, Dwight McNeil is now taking on a lot of that creative responsibility. They want to be able to share that. They would have done it with Goodmanson, but he's been injured for most of the season. Um, but that, that it's quite clear what Sean Dyche is trying to do there, and I think Eliasson would add to that. Uh, a cheaper, more of a prospect option possibly is um, John Darger Torsteinsen um, of AGF in Denmark. Uh, so far, they've restarted their season. He's nine appearances. He's scored three goals, got two assists. Um Again, left-footed. He's also a big player, um, physically capable. Not massively rapid, but he's quick enough in acceleration. He presses well um, and is kind of a Goodmanson clone, actually, in that way. The other one I've gone for um, as a right-back, but who gives versatility, is Matty Cash from Nottingham Forest. Um, I think he's going to leave Forest, probably, because he's a bit good for that level. Um, he certainly adds dynamism and, and ball carrying from the right back position, but he can play further up the pitch as well. I think he can also even play as a central midfielder. Um, he's just a, a versatile, talented player. He's still young. Um, he's got good experience for quite a period of time in the championship, which I think suits Dyche in terms of the way he likes to see players, um, you know, sort of prove their mentality um, before they join Burnley. Uh, so, yeah, he would be my shout for that. Okay, lovely stuff. Uh, Seb, over to you. Yeah, uh, just a couple of things, a couple of additional bits on, on Elias. And um, from what Andy told us on the pod, we think um, finances are going to be pretty uh, pretty scarce this summer. Elias just has one year left on his contract, so that would benefit anybody trying to buy him. Also, um, Burnley and Bristol City have a relationship. They they did a deal for, um, for Josh Brownhill um, a couple of months ago. Um, so, you know, there's probably a negotiation to be done there. Um, my fullback is a punt. Um, Fankati Darbo from Coventry City. Um, <clears throat> it would involve a big step up because obviously he's been playing in League One. Um, he came through at Chelsea, spent a few years um, bouncing around on loan. I think he had some time in the Eredivisie and maybe at Swindon Town, if I'm right in remembering. Um, but uh, technically quite good. Um, nearly six foot tall, um, physical, but also a nice crosser of the ball. I think he takes a lot of boxes for Burnley. I, I do accept it involves a big leap of faith, but um, Coventry City very rarely get anything wrong um, recruiting-wise, um, and that's been shown in their promotion and in the way he's played. He's been excellent since the uh, since probably about October and November. Actually, can I just add one more right back? You may yeah. indeed. I, I, so San Gallen in Switzerland are a team who I think are really, really interesting. Um, they, One of their assistant coaches is a guy who used to write for Spielverlagerung, which is the very clever tactics site that birthed René Maric, the Borussia Mönchengladbach assistant coach. And Christopher Itten has just signed for Rangers from there, which is a really astute signing. Their right-back, Sylvan Hefty, is an excellent, excellent young Swiss player, um, and definitely capable of stepping up a level um, and while he is quite attacking, um, he's also the sort of player who is happy to sit deep and, and 
just be defensively solid, also tucks into midfield very capably as well, um, and sort of feels like somewhere like Burnley would be the right sort of step for him in the first instance. Okay, Burnley, um, you know, have a number of, of exciting players. Are we worried about Burnley losing anyone? For example, I mean, like the, the, the centre-back partnership of Tarkovsky and, and me, obviously we've talked about Dwight McNeil before, um, I know uh, maybe maybe there's less interest in, in Jay Rodriguez, but but he's had a very good season. So I don't know. Are there expectations that, that Burnley are going to be sort of forced to sell any of their, their more important players? McNeil, probably. I think that will become, you know, I'm, I'm reading that um, I'm reading that he was actually um, of interest to Juventus, um, which wow would be interesting. Um but uh, he's the only one, really. I think kind of the, the the market for that kind of signing is quite soft. I mean, you could probably make a case for, you know, maybe a year ago, someone like Tarkovsky and me being worth, you know, 25 million in an inflated marketplace. But I, I think now, um, I don't think there are going to be many clubs who are willing to do that kind of deal. Um, that just seems yeah. a bit sort of, I think there'll be a squeeze on the kind of the, the transfer market's middle class, if that makes sense. Um, okay. So I think okay. Bernie should be okay and they should... Um, they should um, have some stability. I think it's really important they do sign because um, the the crux of this issue um, between Daesh and Garlic, um, between manager and chairman, is the lack of investment. Um, and, mm. you know, he's going to have to be placated if, um, and, you know, because Bernie without Sean Daesh is not a, um, not a situation anyone should be um, in a hurry to, uh, to discover. So there needs to be some activity. I think, sorry, I think Nick Pope possibly is the other. Yeah player in that's that squad. Fair. That's probably true. Yes, I agree with um, that. Who yeah. people would be looking at. What would you say the, uh, the value of those uh, of Dwight McNeil is? Because I, mean, I would assume if they did sell him this summer, they would then have money to go out and spend. Um, what do we think that the, the, his market value would be? Fairly. I think uh, I think he's a terrific player who is getting better really, really quickly. Um, so I think 30, 40 million pounds for someone like that. The only reason people would be surprised by that is because he plays for Burnley. If this was, if Dwight McNeil played for Everton, if he played for Southampton, if he played for, yeah. you know, one of those clubs, Leicester, he would be seen in an entirely different light. And it's partly because um, everyone associates Burnley with his style. Even, even you know, this section is based on a kind of let's make Burnley more exciting. Well, there are exciting bits about Burnley um, and McNeil is definitely one of them. Yeah, I, th- I think to be fair, Burnley are transitioning to a more exciting style. Because they've got I those players. I think Josh Brownhill in, in central midfield as well as somebody who can do interesting things. Um, Dwight McNeil at Leicester is actually quite an intriguing prospect. Dwight McNeil at Juventus is a very intriguing prospect. I'd like to well, see. That, that doesn't make sense to me because <laughs> Juve tend Normie. to use, um, use wingbacks, don't they? So I'm not quite sure not where sure you on the width. That might, be, um, that might be frivolous gossip column nonsense. But um, it's appeared a couple of times over the last few days. What, in the transfer season? Never. Never. Okay, never. Well, uh, I think that's the end of the podcast, isn't it? Because we've got to that time where we normally finish things. So don't forget that if you want to hear more about your team as it relates to sensible transfers, there is uh, probably, depending on who you support, uh, a a very good editorial piece written uh, in this exact format. And uh, you can read those by uh, getting a 40% off an annual subscription. Um, You can do that by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers. Uh, and uh, enjoying yourself in the app with all that it has to offer. For now, it's goodbye from Seb. Bye-bye. It's goodbye from Alex. Goodbye. It's goodbye from producer Adonis. Uh, you won't hear that in the because I'm sure he'll edit out the pause but there was a very long pause he wasn't expecting that and it's goodbye from me Uh, thanks for listening au revoir 